Rock Church, how's everybody doing? You guys good? Good, man. It's great to be with you and excited. Uh, one, I'm excited about camp. Like, like Peyton got me fired up. I want to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he was throwing it down up here. I like that. So I, I do want to add one more thing about camp on, all right, that, that he mentioned it's time to sign up. And, and today is what we do call kind of sign up Sunday that, that anybody gets signed up today or previously has. There's a big drawing throughout the day uh, to help you. So I definitely want to see you sign up. But I also want to talk about sending one to camp. That, that I know camp can be expensive, that, that if you're a high school student, it's $199, and, and for some parents, that is difficult. Now, I will tell you already, it already costs more than that. We've already reduced the price of camp down to that dollar amount, but what we want to do is we want to make sure it's possible for everybody to go. So we're, we're not going to turn away a student if, if they don't have the financial means. Uh, we're not going to turn away a kid away from camp. Uh, so our goal is not just to provide scholarships, but, but my goal, this is no joke, my goal is actually for the first time in my 30 plus years of doing student ministry, t- this weekend is going to be the first time, I'm going to say it this way, I want us to help defray or defer the cost of camp so much. I want us to be so generous today that we actually have to go back and reduce the advertised price of camp. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Like I I actually want to have to call parents this week and say, there was so much money given this week to help send kids to camp that we're actually reducing the total cost and we want to give you money back. And, and that's a challenge I give because reality is some of you have kids that age. You're like, I can afford it. Some of you have a bunch of kids that age, and you're like, that's going to cost a lot this summer. Some of you don't have kids that age, which means it's probably a great opportunity for you to say, let me send a kid to camp. And, and what that would mean, it's $199 to, hit, to send a high schooler and all the way down to $20 to send an elementary kid. Uh, So this is really something that pretty much everybody can participate in, and and I want to challenge you today to do so. Uh, And and you might be able to give 20, 50, 100. You might, we had one family say, I'm sponsoring 10 high school kids go to camp. All right? I love that. Yeah. Like, straight off top, they're like, we know how important this is, so we're going to do it. And, And so my challenge will be this, is even right now, maybe just pull out your phone, go to our Rock app or go to our website and hit the give button. Um, I want you to give like you normally do, but I want you today to be extra generous and and to say, I'm going to do this. And if you hit that give button, when it comes to the fund, there's a general fund, there's a missions fund, and there's one just says camp scholarship. Just click on that and give whatever you want, all right? And we have, um, for those of you who like to give, you know, physically, uh, meaning like cash or checks at the boxes, the giving boxes in the back of the room, there's envelopes, and you can just write on there camp or camp scholarship, and we'll make sure we use that to help a kid uh, go to camp. And, and, and here's reality. We have a, a friend of mine. His church always visits and comes as well. They're from Indiana. They did this same thing, and they raised $50,000 to help their kids go to camp. $50,000. Like, that's incredible. Their church is about half the size as our church. So you know what I'm doing right now? Challenge given. Question is, will challenge be accepted? Let's pray about it. Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for camp. I th- I'm thankful 
over the 30 years that I've seen so many kids' lives changed at camp. I'm thankful for my own kids who made their decision to follow you at camp. I pray for the high school students, the middle school students, the elementary kids that will be going to camp in some way this summer. And I pray that you do work and that they see you and get connected to you and find what really matters. Lord, help us to do our part to make that happen. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, as we, uh, as we begin today, I want to ask you a question. It's a question that I've now or somebody else has asked you for four straight weeks. What are you going to do with your life? Like, like, that's really what it comes down to. What are you going to do with your life? It's a question that, that we started four weeks ago, that we knew we would finish on the weekend that Coastal would be doing graduation. We did that on purpose because we know that when you're a, a college student, when you're a high school student getting ready to graduate, that it is very natural to, to go, what, what, what am I going to do with my life? But, but it's not just for those who are that age. It's for those who are 30 or 40 and maybe going through, through like middle of life. It's for those who are senior citizens or maybe retired who are asking the question, what am I going to do with my life now? Like, like I really believe this is a question that we all ask at different seasons in our life. And, and my hope is that you've asked that. And maybe today is your first day ever with us. I hope that you'll ask it today. That what am I going to do with my life? And, and the challenge that we've been given through it all is, is this kind of idea that you've got a blank slate, that, that you've got your life, that, that we've got this, this sticky note, and we're like, well, what do I do? What, what is it that I, that I write in my note? Do I, do I write about the, the career that, that I want to choose? Do I, do, I, do I think what I want to do with my life? I want to make money. Do I, do I, do I want to have a, a family and have a nice home and, and stuff of that nature? Like we think that oftentimes, but my question through it all, and again, as we finish it today, is when it comes to your life, don't waste it. I know when it comes to my life, I don't want to waste it. And we talked about this in, in week one. We said the way that you don't waste your life is you invest it into God's kingdom. You invest it into him. You take your gifts, you take your resources, you take the life he's called you to, and you use it for him. So, so what am I going to do with my life? Well, I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to invest it. What am I going to do with my life? I'm going to live my calling. And that was week two where we, where we talked about this idea that you have been called, I have been called that everyone's been called to surrender our life to Christ and to share Christ with others. We, we really said it this way, that I'm going to live my calling to make disciples. And then last week, we went this direction. We said, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to be great. That I simply want to be great with my life. And, and the idea of being great is we said that, that you can be great by having greatness in you, and doing great things. And I want to make sure we all hear this, because maybe you weren't here last week. Everybody, not, not, not somebody, not somebody who has the best, uh, like best competencies or the, the best abilities. 
everybody in this room, everybody watching online, everybody watching on demand, we have the ability to be great because greatness can be in us through Christ and greatness can work through us as we do great things. And then I, I want to finalize it today by saying this one. What are you going to do with your life? Live for an audience of one. That, that I, I don't want to waste my life. I want to invest it. I, I want to live my calling to make disciples. I, I want to be great and do great things for an audience of one. And see, I, I think this is an area that, that we all struggle with, myself included. Because I think rather than living for an audience of one, I think many times we live for an audience of oneself. And if we're not living for an audience of oneself, we live for an audience of others. Yet Jesus says live for an audience of one. And again, I think this is something we all struggle with. I know I do. That, that I struggle with it currently in my life. I'll, I'll struggle with it today. But, but I can think specifically of a time several years ago that, that I really struggled trying to figure out who's the audience I'm trying to please. It was back in a season of my life where I used to travel full time. And, and it, was, it was a fun season. Like I was on a different bus or a different airplane or a van every week. And I was traveling all over America and around the world preaching uh, the gospel uh, primarily to high school students and, and, and young adults. And I was having an opportunity to, to speak with a bunch of cool bands and amusement parks. Like, you name it, it was cool. And, and on a weekend basis, I would be between, uh, be speaking in front of maybe a thousand people to 5,000 people. And then I got booked for, uh, an event in Minnesota. It was a Christian festival and well, they don't do as many of them these days, but, but 15, 20 years ago, they used to do a ton of them. And what they do is they bring in a bunch of bands for about four days and everybody would camp out and they'd have a, a nightly speaker. Well, this one was in Minnesota and it was 25,000 people. And, and I'd never stood in front of 25,000 people. Uh, like I said, I don't think I'd ever been in front of more than 5,000. And, and you can imagine, like, like, I don't get nervous. Like, standing in front of you guys doesn't make me nervous at all. One, you're my people. You're my family. So it's just, we doing life together. But that day, 25,000 people, I'm just going to tell you right now, I was nervous. Like I'm driving up to the campgrounds and, and I'm seeing all the RVs. I'm seeing all the tents. I'm seeing the mass of people and I'm like, okay, I'm getting a little nervous. And then I got backstage and when I got backstage, I, I, I pulled up the schedule to, to see how it was gonna go and to see who I was speaking in between because I knew I'd be between two different bands. And when I saw the bands, then I got really nervous. Now, I know to all of you who are this gen, this will mean nothing to you, okay? But for those who have been Christians or know the Christian uh, music industry for a while, you might understand. I was speaking in between Pillar and P.O.D., Anybody remember Pillar or P.O.D.? Okay, a couple of you all, then you understand. Like, they were the, like, the biggest hardcore bands of that time, all right? And I'd spoken in front of a bunch of different people, but I was like, Pillar, P.O.D., man. So now I just got nervous again. Then I'm standing on stage, and I'm seeing 25,000 people, and I'm about to wet myself, okay? <laughs> While I'm standing there, two different promoters come to me at two different times. The first promoter was the guy who was kind of in charge of the business side of the festival. And he came to me and said, all right, 
I don't know if anybody's talked to you about what I want you to say tonight, um, but, but here's what you need to say. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said. Here's exactly what I want you to say tonight. I was like, okay, yes, sir, I got you. And, and then a couple minutes later, a different promoter came to me. This is the promoter in charge of the ministry and the outreach of the event. And he goes, all right, I don't know what anybody else has said to you, but this is exactly what I want you to say tonight. And what he was saying and this guy was saying, complete opposites. Okay, not unbiblical, not like, like, like not bad theology, just not the same target. And I'm sitting there going, okay, well, who am I supposed to please? Because I'm standing there and I'm in a struggle. I'm doing mental backflips because I'm like, well, I need to please this guy because he's in charge of the conference and I want to be invited back. And I need to please this guy because he's in charge of the conference and I want to be invited back. And I, and I want to I please the students because I want them to go to their youth pastors and say that they liked me so that they'll invite me to their retreat. Well, and I, I want P, Pillar and POD to like me because, well, maybe they'll invite me to go out on tour with them, right? You know what I mean? Like, like I have all of this going through my mind. And I am in turmoil because I know within a minute I'm getting ready to walk out and start preaching. And it was during that time that I just paused and I just prayed. And I said, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I got two different guys telling me two different things. I got a bunch of students in front of me. I got a band behind me. I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. So I prayed this prayer. I said, Jesus, because I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do what I feel like you're telling me to do, and I'm going to preach the sermon that you put on my heart when I prepared for this event several days ago. And I'm just going to do what you've already put on my heart and trust that it'll be pleasing to you because I don't know if I can please anybody else. And I went out there and I preached that message. And I'll be honest, when I was done, I don't know if the students liked it. Like, like I don't know if the promoters liked it. And my guess is the band didn't even listen. But I can tell you I was at peace because in that moment... I did what I believed was pleasing to the Lord because he was my only audience. 25,000 students, he was my only audience. And I said, Lord, I gotta just trust that you know what needs to be said. Therefore, I'm gonna say it and you do what you need to do. And it's difficult though. It's difficult because we go, who is it that I'm supposed to please? Oneself, others, or him. And my prayer is that we'll all leave here today going, I just want to please Jesus, that he's the audience that I need to please. And, and I believe we can look at scripture and we, we can see two other groups that wrestled with this. One was a guy, we call him a rich young ruler. I'll call him the young ruler. And the other was a bunch of young disciples. And they were faced with the same question. Who is it that I'm trying to please? It's a story that you'll find in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and the book of Luke. Those are what we call gospels, or I like to call them biographies that were written about Jesus. And I'm going to share the, the story that comes specifically out of the book of Mark. This is the way that he told it uh, as the way that he remembered it. He said that one day that, that Jesus was teaching, and a, and a rich young ruler came up to him and said, Good teacher, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he said, well, first of all, why, why do you call me good? Don't you know that only God in heaven is good? He goes, but since you've asked, um, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't kill. Uh, don't lie. Like, like, keep those. And then the young ruler said, well, well that's good then, because since I was young, I've kept the commandments. The, 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 the guy who wrote uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew, he actually added in one thing that the young man said. The young man actually said it like this. He said, well, then I'm good. I've done that since I'm young, since I've been young. Anything else? Like, you got anything else? Like, is that it? And then Jesus said this. You lack one thing. He actually looked at him, and it says he genuinely loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And, and then you will have treasures in heaven. And then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, his face fell because he was a man of great wealth, and he walked away sad. Then Jesus turned to the crowd that was still there, and he said, how hard it is to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like, notice that, because we often say, oh, it's easy. No, Jesus said, how hard it is to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said it's actually easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the disciples piped up and they said, well, then who can be saved? Like they basically said, we're all going to hell. And Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, it is possible. So with that, then Peter uh, kind of chimed in. He said, well, Jesus, we've all left everything to follow you. Like, like basically saying, hey, hey, like I don't know what I need to do, but, but we've left it all to follow you. And Jesus said, you're right. And because of that, any man who leaves and gives up his house, his father, his mother, his kids, his property, Many more times, a hundred more times, he will be given today houses and property and, and sons and daughters and moms and dads and persecution, both today and in the life to come. What Jesus was saying is he was looking at the young disciples and he was saying, you're living for an audience of one because you've given it all up. The young ruler, though, was living for an audience of oneself because he wasn't. Uh, maybe another way for me to say it is this, that if you want to live for an audience of one, then what you have to do is put Jesus over everything. What would that look like in our life? Like, what would that look like in your life? What would that look like in my life if we just said, you know what? Here's the way I'm going to live. Jesus over everything. Because if I put Jesus over everything, then that is truly me trying to please him as an audience of one. Like, how do we do that? How did the disciples do that when the young ruler wasn't able to? One, I would say this, that you put Jesus over everything in what you're aiming at. 
Like, think about your aims, your ambitions, your, your goals. Like, we all have aims. We, we all have things that we're aiming at. For some of us, it's to be a great student or to be a great athlete or to be a starter on the team or, or, or to get a good job or to get into that college or uh, to, to be the, the manager or the boss or the CEO or maybe even the owner. Like we have all kinds of aims. We have aims of maybe being a good dad or being a good husband or, or, or being wealthy. Like we have these aims. And the aims in themselves are not bad. The question is, is what's the motive behind the aim? See, go back to the, the young ruler. Like he went to, to, to the leaders. Like, like excuse me, he went to, to Jesus and he, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, like, that sounds like a great question. It sounds like a good aim point. Like, what do I need to do to, to get to heaven? That sounds great. But we see through the rest of the story, his motive was way off. And I think that we're guilty of that. I know I am. All I got to do is go back to the story I told you at the beginning. That, that some of my motives was off. Because I wanted to please the promoters. Why? Because I wanted to come back. I wanted to please the band because I wanted to go on tour. I, I wanted to please the students because I wanted them to say, oh, that was the guy I remember. And, and it's not just at those events. I know there's other times in my life. There's times I was like, I want a big youth group. That, that, that I want our youth group to be known, that I want to be known, that I want to be speaking on that stage. Like, I'd love to sit here and tell you that all of my motives all through my life have been pure. But they haven't. And honestly, if I stood in front of you and said every motive I've had as a preacher has been pure, your best option would be to get up and walk out because that's not the kind of preacher you want to follow because that's a preacher that's lying. And you might go, oh, Josh, you're disclosing too much of, of yourself. No, I'm being honest. Anybody else honest with me that your motives haven't always been pure, right? Like it's just reality. Because we find ourselves wanting to please others. Or we find ourselves wanting to please ourselves. And we've got to curb that. Because if we're going to please Jesus, we've got to get rid of that junk. I love the way there's a guy named Oz Guinness. He wrote a book called The Call. It's a great book if you want to read it sometime. He said this, A life lived listening to the decisive call of God is a life lived before one audience that trumps all others. The audience of one. I live before an audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. What the writer here is saying is that if I live for an audience of one, I don't have to look to myself and I don't have to look towards others. The apostle Paul said the same thing. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And I love that because what he's saying is, as a Christ follower, if you're truly trying to please Jesus, then you're not always going to please others. There's going to be things you believe, things you do, things you say that not everybody's going to like. I also think what he's getting at here is this. If I was trying to please others, then I wouldn't be Christ's servant because Jesus would look at me and say, you're not a very good servant. Because you're not honoring your master. Jesus said it this way. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. 
They cannot do any more to you after that. And I know when we read that, we go, yeah, Jesus, but that's a big deal, right? Like, let's be honest. But here's what he's trying to get at, is you're worried about pleasing others and a little bit of persecution. And Jesus says this, but I tell you whom you should fear, fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one to fear. And I know that's a real verse right there. That's a hard one. And I don't share this verse as a scare tactic. That, that's not how I operate. If you've been here very long at all, you know that. But this is real. And it's truth that there is heaven and that there is hell. And there is a man named Jesus who is our Lord, our Savior, our God, and he will determine those who go to heaven and those who go to hell. He is the one. So if that is the case, I want to do everything in my life to please him, even if it doesn't always please others, and even if it doesn't always please myself. I want to please him. What I'm doing is I'm acknowledging that he needs to be my aim. Which takes me back to really my second point for the message is, is this, is that if you want to put Jesus over everything, put Jesus over everything in what you're aiming at and what you're acknowledging. And what we acknowledge is, I can't make it to heaven on my own merit. See, the, the young ruler, that was kind of his problem, is that he went to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And again, his motive was wrong, and even how he asked it was wrong. What he was really asking is, what do I need to do to earn? What do I need to do to purchase? What do I need to do to buy eternal life? And Jesus started in with, well, keep the commandments. He's like, I'm good. Remember his verse that said this, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was Young, like, I'm good. I've purchased it. I've earned it. I've inherited it. I, I'm, I'm good. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. Because you think that you're getting to heaven by your own good works. And what you need to do is to acknowledge the only way to heaven is through me. See, the disciples, they came to understand that because they, they, they threw back. The disciples were astonished. Then, then who in the world can be saved? They're basically saying, we got no shot. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. That he's basically saying, if you will just simply acknowledge that I am the one that can get you to heaven. And the way you acknowledge that is abandonment of self. Jesus over everything in your aim, in what you acknowledge, and what you're willing to abandon. See, the disciples, they were willing to give it all up. The young ruler, he wasn't. The young ruler would not give up everything. The young ruler didn't think Jesus over everything. The young ruler thought Jesus and everything. Like, it's not Jesus over everything. It's Jesus and everything. But Jesus looked at him, and he loved him intently, and he said this. He said, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done. Go 
and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young ruler heard that, his face fell because he's like, I want everything and Jesus. Not Jesus over everything. And I'm afraid sometimes we think the same way. We think, well, I just, I just get a little bit of Jesus. And I'll put him in this little corner of my heart along with this and this and this and this. And Jesus says, no, me over everything. The disciples caught that. Peter said, we've given up everything to follow you. And they had. I mean, they, they left their boats on the seashore. They left fish in the boats. They left their houses. They walked with Jesus for the sake of the gospel and the sake of Jesus. That they were saying this, we don't just want eternity. We want you, Jesus. What would it look like in our life if that's how we lived? That we didn't just want eternity, but we literally simply wanted Jesus. And the blessing and the beauty of wanting Jesus is we also get eternity and life. Amen? That's what happens. And see, we see it in the verse. Jesus said this. He said, I assure you, that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. Like what's that even mean? I mean, I mean, think about that for just a second, that, that if you read that, you're like, well, that, that doesn't really make sense, Jesus. Because I don't remember Peter getting more houses, more family, and maybe not literally, but he did get the family of God, which is more family. And I, I think about it even a, a step further than that is that when you put Jesus over everything, he makes everything better. Think of it this way. If I put Jesus over my spouse, then my marriage will be better. Because if I'm putting Jesus over my spouse, then what it means is I'm looking at Jesus, I'm looking at his word, and I'm trying to do everything I possibly can to live out his will and his word in my life which in his will and in his word, he tells me how to be a better man, how to be a better husband. So if I put Jesus over my spouse, in reality, it helps me to be a better husband. If I put Jesus over my kids, it helps me to be a better parent. If I put Jesus over my money, it helps me to be better with money. So in reality, I think this verse means is that when we put Jesus over everything, he literally makes everything better in your life although you will still have persecution that comes. So life on earth will be better, but then lastly, life eternally will be better as well. So what does it look like? You say, okay, Josh, but, but what does it look like to put Jesus over everything? What does it look like to abandon and, and rather than having an audience of oneself or an audience of others, having an audience of one, I'd say it looks like these young disciples, that they did that. And that's what it looked like 2,000 years ago. But what about in 2023? 
I think it looks like a guy named Phil. And let me just tell you, I don't know Phil personally, but I heard his story two weeks ago. My buddy's a preacher down in Florida, and, and we were talking, and he said, dude, I got to tell you about my Friday night. I was like, all right. He goes, a guy named Phil threw a birthday party. And I was like, okay. See, Phil was, was turning 40, and Phil had just recently came to a, to a good understanding of Jesus. That Phil had just recently came to this concept, this attitude of an audience of one. That Phil had just started really looking at his life and saying, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to live for an audience of one. I'm going to put Jesus over everything. And, and so what Phil did for his birthday is he decided to throw himself a birthday party. He's like, I'm turning 40. I'm going to have a birthday party. So he invited 200 people to his birthday party. About 150 of them came. And 150 people came to Phil's birthday party at the church, at my buddy Johnny's church. And Johnny was telling me, he said, now, Josh, you got to understand, Phil's friends don't know the Lord. Phil's friends don't go to church. Now, Phil's friends don't have anything to do with church or with God. But Phil looked at all of his friends and said, this is all I want for my birthday is for you to come to my birthday party. It's going to be held at my church. It's not a church event. It's not a church service. It's my birthday party. So 150 of them showed up. Well, as part of his party, he asked the worship team at church to lead some songs. Not one song, not two songs, not three songs. He said, would you play for an hour? Would you just lead worship for an hour? So, so the, the worship team had a night of worship for an hour for 150 people that didn't know the Lord. Well, you can imagine God was already at work, right? And then this guy, Phil, got up on stage. And this is a picture of him. Phil has never been on stage before. Phil has never preached a sermon before. But, but that night, after an hour long of worship, Phil sat in front of 150 of his friends and said, I got to tell you about my life. Y'all think I've been successful. I mean, from a money standpoint, all that, he had been. But, but, but he brought out a prop, and on it was a sign that said, filderness. Like, like instead of the word wilderness, it said filderness. He said, guys, I got to tell you, for the last 40 years, I've been in the filderness. I've been running a life that circled around me. And I was living for an audience of oneself. My words, not his, but basically what he said. I've been living for myself. And it's put me in a wilderness that I thought would be, bring success, that I thought would bring happiness, that I thought would bring life. And what it brought was wilderness. And then he shared with them how he had made a difference, a decision to surrender his life to Jesus Christ and to live for an audience of one and to make disciples because he said, I'm not going to waste my life. Again, my words, but basically what he shared with them. And after that night, in the next coming two weeks, at least as of last Sunday, four of Phil's friends have received Christ and taken the step of baptism, right? It's incredible. It's incredible because one man made a decision 
that I'm not going to waste my life. One man made a decision that I'm going to live my calling. One man made a decision that I'm going to do great things, that I'm going to live for an audience of one because I'm going to put Jesus over everything. And now we know because of one man's decision, four people will spend eternity in heaven. That's what happens when we say, I'm not going to waste it, Jesus. It's all for you. Which leads me back to this sticky note. There's a lot of different things you can write in there. What are you going to do with your life? You could write a lot of things in there. But my challenge is that you're simply going to write Jesus over everything. Because when I live a life of Jesus over everything, here's what it means. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to live a calling. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to have greatness in me and do great things for an audience of one. So I'm going to invite you as we sing a song to make a decision and to write in your sticky note, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And we've provided them for you over in the prayer corner. There's these sticky notes on the wall. And and there's Sharpies there on the rock and on a table. And you can go up and and you can just write on that sticky note. Maybe what you're going to write is Jesus over everything. Maybe what you're going to write is Jesus over everything, which means blank. Because you know, whatever it is you're writing, you've been putting over Jesus. And maybe you're going to write over there, I'm not going to waste my life. I know God is calling me to do blank. I'm going to invite you, go to those sticky notes and write it down. Or maybe for you, it's just you're going to write it down in your mental sticky note or maybe in your heart. But don't leave here today going, well, what am I going to do with my life? So I'm going to invite us to stand up right now. This song we're going to sing, it's a brand new song to us as a church. And the song is pretty simple. It's called Give Me Jesus. Because at the end of the day, What we need is Jesus. And there's some of you who are maybe here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. What I'm going to challenge you to do is don't be like the rich young ruler who left and walked away from Jesus. Be like the young disciples who followed. Give me Jesus. Anna's going to start singing it for us. And you follow along. Make a decision. Pray with somebody about receiving Christ. Take a step of baptism. Write on those sticky notes or write on the one in your heart. Give me Jesus.